This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I got two amazing guests, Alexander Leonard Larson, co-founder and chief operating officer of Sky Mavis. Alexander, welcome. Uh, very happy to be here. Happy to have you here. Uh, and Anton Bachmann, Anthony, I've known you for a while, associate at Play Ventures. And are you a lawyer or just studied law? I just thought it good. Okay. We don't want any lawyers on this podcast. So Hunter, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Mr. Thanks for having me. All right. So, so we are here to talk about blockchain gaming. We're here to talk about, of course, uh, Sky Mavis and Axie Infinity being in the news all the time. In addition to, to Sky Mavis and Axie Infinity, the news have been filled with all kinds of blockchaining games coming out with especially just gigantic funding rounds. Like this week alone, we had Dapper Labs raising another 250 million for their NBA Top Shot game, and their current valuation is 7.6 billion dollars. We got SoftBank, uh, a well-known, very um, 
smart investor, leading a $680 million founding round for a non-fungible token fantasy soccer collectible game platform called Serare and investment value Serare at $4.3 billion. And of course, before that, Axie Infinity, Alexander's game, has reported that your annualized revenue has overtaken Candy Crush Saga, which feels probably very good for a Norwegian person uh, to to beat the, uh, the 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 king of Sweden. So so congratulations on that one. Um, anyways, a lot of these, a lot of hype, a lot of a lot of news coming in uh, about crypto gaming. And what I've felt is kind of like being looking at at the side as well as being in the game industry. What I feel is there's a lot of um, a disbelief. Uh, the, the money, of course, creates a lot of interest of what's going on. But at the same time, I've pulled in this kind of a tweet that, that Tim Sweeney sent. Um, so somebody asked him, sir, please check your inbox, Twitter one, hope to chat to chat with you, said to Tim. And Tim, ans Tim answered, we aren't touching NFTs as the whole field is currently tangled up with an intractable mix of scams, interesting decentralized tech foundations, and scams. So I think Tim kind of summarizes how everybody feels about blockchain gaming. So since I'm a Neanderthal, I don't understand any of this, this stuff. Let's take a, a giant, giant, giant step back and start off with just explanation of what is blockchain, what is NFT, what is going on? And Anton, can you please kick it off? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Miska, happy to. So, so maybe, the techie answer to, to what a blockchain is, that it's a decentralized, usually public digital ledger consisting of blocks that keep track of transactions happening on it. And uh, e then each blockchain has a consensus system in place to maintain the integrity of the records of the chain and avoid anyone tampering with it uh, that way. Now, I don't, think, I don't think this definition does enough justice to what's going on, uh, but what's essentially happening here uh, beyond, beyond the passwords is that there's kind of a new new open computing platform coming along that allows developers to build new kinds of products uh, and companies. And um, I personally, I wanna emphasize the fact that, uh, that the openness here, because uh, the fact that we can now collectively agree on on the right string of entries in a public database is, is what makes this this open, open, open computing platform possible. Uh, and now maybe a simple uh, example here to kind of explain explain the magnitude of, of, of what's happening is that if we if you look at a company a web two company like Stripe for mm -hmm. example uh, that's a company that's been up and running since 2009 uh, they raised a total of 2.2 billion dollars in VC funding at this point uh, but it's only available in 46 countries so you have a lot of countries in the world where companies aren't able to build payments on top of Stripe's API. Whereas then anyone anyone with an internet connection can can build a payment system based based on Bitcoin. Uh, I think I think that's a quite a simple exa example to be able to explain uh, kind of what what kind of a magnitude uh, we're dealing with when 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 you when you have developers who are able to build build on top of open so open platforms. So are you saying that that have a, go ahead, Alexander? Yeah, I have a I have a comment to that too. Um, I, I think Alton, you, you, you described it in a, in a, in a very nice tech, uh, focused way. What I've, uh, the way I like to say it to, to people who just, who are very new, I like to just say that the, the, the blockchain is a, is a, the world computer mm -hmm. with a shared state. And what that means is, is that 
if you want to ship a program, for example, uh, just like you would ship it on the internet, this time you ship it uh, on a, a world computer where everyone can see you know, what's happening at the same time uh, and everyone is agreeing on what is uh, the truth. So it's a it's a little bit of a, a different way of looking at it, I guess. But but you know the essence is is still the same, and that's also you know what what attracts me to to this space is the fact that you can now make programs that can never be changed, and that also in these programs then have parameters, like for example the maximum amount of let's say items that can be created uh, on that program, and then then uh, and more more things like different parameters that limit the possibility of the developers. And that again, you know, uh, creates a lot of value for the end user because they can, you know, agree on what is real in the world. Mm. And in a world where you see so many things that are fake, the fact that you have a place which is persistent, which is real, which is, as Anton said, you know, tamper-proof, is very strong. So basically, and then when you look at for games, you can also say, you know, is that the most important thing? Well, that's you know, arguable. <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is because everything is in, in blockchain is limited, so there's a ceiling for 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 elements that makes it a currency because there's only a certain amount of it. Is is that the way? No, like that's a parameter that has been set by that specific program mm -hmm. or by that specific currency. So, I mean, you can create let's say an Axie, for example, mm -hmm. in our game, there is no cap on how many Axies can exist for now. Like the only cap is the, 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 the resources that are required to produce, to produce that Axie. So, you know, what does that mean that all Axies are useless? No, it just means that, you know, all the Axies that are in, that are in existence have been created by something that, that potentially was or is limited or is, you know, scarce to get. If not, they wouldn't necessarily have any value. So I guess that that is the difference. Um, but 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 for those who are you know very new, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's like a world computer, a new way of, of looking at you know shared state. So why do you need blockchain in games? Like like couldn't this type of a system be achieved through the existing uh, tools? Like for example, like you mentioned that there's only a set amount of resources in the game or in in, in the program, and should I mean you could kind of do that without blockchain, just not release any more of that type of a content and that would be it? Or what, what am I missing? Yeah, for items, for items, I think, you know, as game developers and gamers, mm -hmm. you know, we are very used to dealing with digital goods. So there is nothing like new on that specific front um, other than the fact that, you know, these are, you know, transparent. So that means that for game players, it adds value for them because they can actually see you know, how many assets are being produced or were produced of a limited time. Mm -hmm. So it becomes sort of a collectible or, or it does become a, a collectible. So if we take Epic Games as an example, you know, when they have a limited edition Fortnite skin, you know, they can still do that today. But if you do it on the blockchain, you know, issue them as, as you know, blockchain assets or NFTs as they're called, then you could see, you know, each copy that was being issued and you could track how many of them are in existence and then they could then have tangible value rather than you know hey right now we're doing uh, mm -hmm. uh we're selling these items um and then two weeks later oh we're gonna sell ten thousand new items like that uh is not possible in the same way using blockchain so it limits the some of the scope uh for for the developer but that again adds value for for the for the player i'm gonna use epic as an example or fortnite as an example so correct me if i'm wrong 
so in I would I could do a battle pass season and let's say there's some kind of a specific skin that is only given during that season time. And that's how I would limit it in a Fortnite. But in a in a blockchain setting, I could actually set that these only five of these exist in the whole game and can ever exist in the whole game. So it's not time limited, during which time as many people who, you know, work hard enough or pay enough can get it. But it's actually it's impossible to get more than five of these in the whole existence of the game. Is that that yeah, depends on the parameters mm -hmm. that, that you set when you created the item. I think you can do the same thing. Like if you just put Fortnite or uh, said that all Fortnite items were stored on the blockchain, the only difference would, I mean, they, they would still be able to design in the same way when they had the limited time, you know, the, the, the battle passes, mm -hmm. but rather than, you know, two years in the future, going back in time and saying, we're going to be reissuing those items. Like they can't do that because th those have already been issued, but for the players, they don't really have any guarantee that that's not going to happen sometime in the future. So let's say for Epic, they have all the trust from, from the player base. So that might not necessarily be a concern right now, but what happens if they get purchased by someone else mm -hmm. or, you know, if, if strategies changes or they see that there is a decline in revenue, they might want to um, also issue new, new assets. So, so these are, these are some of the possibilities. Um, I think for traditional game developers, I think that's a cool thing, but not necessarily, you know, it doesn't explain why the numbers are so massive, for example, in Axie. It's just one part of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. And also, also, also maybe tying into, into the discussion around Epic and, and obviously the, the model they have currently is very beneficial for them. And, and they, they mainly want to focus on primary sales of skins that have this kind of artificial scarcity in a way that they are, they are available only for a limited time, but obviously you can sell as many as you want during that, during that limited time. Um, and, um, I don't think it's especially if, if if you are an if you are a player that or if you're an entity that can't can't really control the secondary market for what's happening in your game then obviously you're not tapping into the value creation that's happening on the secondary market and this is maybe one of the reasons why why a lot of these actors maybe refrain from allowing secondary markets because they feel they're they're missing out from from some of the um some of the profits that are generated there mm. uh, but now now that you're introducing a mechanic for for developers to also cash in on all of the all the secondary market transactions that are happening in the game uh, and especially now that Axie is kind of trailblazing that way to see that you can actually build a very very sustainable and successful successful business on top of that then it's probably something that these game developers who have these large games that mostly rely on skin economies will will, will also look into and Anthony, you've been following the space a lot can you talk about other like we're going to dive deep into sky mavis and axie infinity in a second but can you talk about why there has been such a skyrocketing rise in value with other games that use NFTs, like the CryptoPunks and the Board Ape Yacht Club and the Pudgy Penguins. And I don't know if CryptoKitties exist anymore, but I remember that was at one point. Like, like what's what's been going on there? Yeah. So as a, as a brief timeline, there, um, I think you identified correctly that this uh, this kind of movement started earlier this year uh, on a bigger scale with with some of the more kind of collectible type of projects like NBA Top Shot by Dapper Labs, uh, followed by these more, arguably maybe more crypto native, native projects such as um, uh, CryptoPunks, uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, Pudgy Penguins. Uh, and, and there's almost kind of a cult-like following that has, uh, that has been built, uh, built around these assets. And I think it just speaks, speaks to the power of, of, of what kind of um, um, 
emotions, these uh, emotions and actions, these bring, these bringing people, and and it's 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 almost a way for for someone to to sort of um, uh, add add economic value to a community uh, as well in a more tangible way that that sort of is accessible by everyone uh, everyone in that community. Um, now, obviously, we're now starting to see this happening in games, mm-hmm. and also part of the reason. I think Alex agrees with me as well on on, on why why game game asset uh, or gaming NFTs uh, are potentially more interesting. Also, in the long term, is is that at least for the moment we have more use cases in terms of of, of have using gaming NFTs as, as productive assets, uh, as they gaming assets have all, always had a use case. Uh, so now that we're having them in this setting as well, they they are kind of they are kind of born into this. Uh, and, and so it is, they're not only for collectible purposes, but you can actually use them, use them in the games that they are, uh, that they are meant for. Um, when it comes to investor sentiment around, uh, around this industry, and especially with some of the recent fundraisers and, uh, and probably a lot more, more fundraisers coming up as well. Uh, likely as, as, so as, 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 as um, Alex. Alex knows uh, blockchain gaming has been already around for some time, uh, and 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 it, it was around for a long time before before it caught kind of investor interest at large. But I think it's fair to say that many people, especially in the game industry, they also knew they they knew about this stuff for many years, but they maybe hadn't the required conviction to to actually go in go in deep into this space, and. Like like mobile, like other gaming platforms in the past as well, you really need that runway hit, runaway hit uh, within within your category. In terms of play to earn games, uh, it, I think it's quite clear that it has been axie in terms of in terms of their traction, uh, and 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 so so rare also in terms of their their accomplishments of, of kind of securing key IP uh, for their fantasy football games or, or soccer, uh, and uh, and obviously dapper with their with their kind of ip partnerships on the on the basketball side and now with la liga as well uh but obviously breakout hits like this uh, gauge gauge investor interest in the space uh and and um obviously then it it, it then kind of reflects in the market as well that you see a lot of these fundraisers that are looking for for similar success stories but but given that we have axi which is the one the only big game in the market i would say still in terms of traction uh it kind of speaks to it how how super early we are mm-hmm. uh, still in this space. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely very very early. I mean, when I when I say early, I mean Axie is not fully gone to market yet. I, the the what we've shipped so far is still a very early version of the of the final product. Uh, and uh, what's happened is you know it takes a long time mm-hmm. to build uh, to build solid products, especially when you're when you need to create the infrastructure piece as well. I mean at the same time. So uh, I mean that that's that's a that's a very you know, high level explanation of, of why it's taken so long to 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 get to this point. But but to be honest, like there, there's more than that too. Like you need a deep level of understanding of you know the economies that you're creating, and and, and I think that's one of the more challenging uh, pieces for you know traditional game developers, especially in the mobile industry. Right. So so this is a nice segue into how we view the space uh, and. Uh, I actually like to compare what's happening in Axie and you know some of these digital economies that are being created. Like they're they're very much MMOs in the sense that it's much more than a simple game. Like it's a it's a lot of stuff that's happening at the same time. People have many different roles, but the one of the most important things is that the economy is very connected uh, to 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 all of the actions that's happening and the value that that's being created. 
Um, and, and what it turns out that when you, when you look, when, if you compare this to what's happening in real life, for example, I'm going to uh, use Norway as an example. Whenever people, whenever, you know, value is being created in a nation like Norway, for example, the Norwegian state, it takes a certain tax, right? Um, in traditional gaming, that tax percentage has been 100%. <laughs> so whenever something is happening in these traditional game economies, all of the value is accruing to the main game developer. And that actually reduces the amount of money that's flowing into the ecosystem and in the economy. So in Axie, we take a much larger take rate or a tax rate, you might say, and then we let the players actually generate most of the value themselves. And that, again, fuels more and more uh, you know, um, economic activity inside the ecosystem, which then again means that we can capture more on the long tail. Now, this is a very different way of designing games. And, you know, it, it's probably because we, we don't have the same, you know, constraints as the traditional game developers, because when you look at what, what happened, it seems unreal. Like, how did this happen? We didn't actually make any games before Axie. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a very... Uh, different way of looking at it than the traditional game studio. But but I think that's also where a lot of the value is created and, and where, you know, why we will see massive, massive economies. And and to, to to put some numbers out there, I mean, so far the Axie marketplace between players only on NFT items has generated over $2.1 billion oh. in transaction Holy fees. Shit. Or in transactions, sorry. In fees, we take a 4.25% fee on that. Uh, so that's a big part of the revenue. And then we also have, you know, revenue that's flowing in whenever people are creating assets inside the game. So, yeah, the, the, it's very complex. Um, and I think it, that's why it's taken some time to get there. And when we now see a lot of people who are raising, well, they try to, you know, copy what's happening. But the, it, it's, it's a lot harder uh, to make it than, than it seems. And, and that's when you, when you get people who come in. Oh, this looks like a very simple game. Well, I mean, you actually need to go a little bit deeper to see what, what exactly is happening here. Mm. And I think I mean, maybe maybe adding to to Alex's comment as well, I think an, an inherent kind of advantage that games and game designers have when compared to to NFT projects that are more based on on like purely being collectibles is that you, as a game designer, it's you're in a better position to to kind of write the rules of how people interact with with these assets in, in in your own game or in your larger game ecosystem. So, if you're looking at a collectible, um, there's maybe not too much kind of directing how often those collectibles change hands. Uh, and um, they might change hands very infrequently or very frequently, depending on what the, what, 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 what the user sentiment is. But in games, uh, similar to Axie, I think a, a, core, a core part of the gameplay itself uh, is to, if when you breed an Axie, you either keep it or you sell it. So there's a lot of transactional activity kind of embedded in the core, in, in, in the, in the core game as well. Uh, so, so that then uh, allows you to also build a much more sustainable business on on the fact that you take take a small cut based on the value that the players are also creating in the game, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 so so there. I'm personally, I maybe I, I, I'm more bullish towards towards these these games where you have a big amount of users that are able to participate in the economy, uh, and you have a bunch of lower value NFTs that change hands often versus that you would have this kind of an economy where you only have a small number of really expensive NFTs that, that rarely change hands. And this is, I think, an advantage that game developers have that they can, they have more leeway in writing these rules. So, so just- Yeah, the, the, the hard thing there is actually transaction speed <laughs> and the, the fact that, you know, we haven't been uh, at, at this point where we could deliver this feature to the users because 
you know, when you look at what, what is a blockchain, you need to see that, well, the world computer, it only has so much space to put your transactions in. And if that, you know, computer is full, same thing as when you are trying to, you know, use your own PC to, you know, you want to, you want to create a game and you want to edit video and you want to record a podcast at the same time, like there isn't enough space. <laughs> Someone has to yield and the people who have to yield are those who are willing to pay the least for their transactions uh, until we can, you know, have larger computers, have more space for people to fill. And I think that's, you know, the, the, the level of understanding that we need. And, and uh, once we get to that point, well, then you, then you can also see that how, how early we are, because obviously it shouldn't cost, you know, $50 for one transactions. Uh, but, the, the truth is that that's what people are willing to pay to get their uh, transactions on the world computer. So let's, let me try to, um, to, to kind of reiterate and just see if I understood this correctly. So when in mm -hmm. a traditional, let's say by traditional, we mean free to play game In a free to play game, we create a certain amount of assets and then we sell those assets and we keep the hundred percent of the proceeds minus of course, the triple net. So the, the UA cost, the cost for a platform and the cost for the team with the uh, blockchain gaming, you create the you create the blockchains that allow people to create these assets, uh, whether it's actually mm. with reading or where I'm wrong, Alex. It's it's not a you don't I mean you don't have to create the blockchain. Mm -hmm. You create the economy. Like you, the blockchain is a different. It's just an infrastructure yeah. term. Uh, so you would have to just create. Let's say uh, you would create the ecosystem that surrounds it. Okay, so let me just use a layman terms of of games. So if I make a sword and where we have this, you know, Ultima online type of a game, but now it's built on top of blockchain gaming. I, if do as a developer, I, I generate X amount of these swords or material to make these swords. And then because there's only very limited amount of, of resources to make these or the blocks uh, or crypto, whatever you want to call it, because there's very, I'm, I'm already lost because you guys are so smart. So you have a limited amount of resources to make these assets. Now, let's say there's only 10 of these swords that can be in the, uh, in the marketplace. Now, because there's mm -hmm. a scarcity of the, this resource, that brings a tremendous amount of value. And because they're usable in the game, they're not just collectible, they're actually usable and, and, and people can, you know, gain value of them by, by interacting in this virtual world, uh, that brings them even more value. Now, the way... Uh, the uh, the blockchain economies generate revenue for these companies is that instead of selling this sword once or having it once there, they're actually generating more revenue with time because players will be selling, like earning this sword and then selling it to somebody else and then somebody sells it forward and so forth and so forth. And every time this transaction is being made, the developer gets a little cut of that transaction. And of course, majority of that revenue or that whatever resource the transaction occurs stays within the players, but the developer is still getting a cut for every transaction. Did I understand correctly? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, you, uh, there's a little bit of back and forth, yeah. but you know, I think you have the general gist yes. of it. Uh, the, the, the main idea here is that, you know, the, 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 you act, as a game developer, you, ha you can potentially do a whole lot of revenue in only mm -hmm. primary sales. But if you actually reduce the level of primary sales that you do so that it's uh, commensurate with the player base that you have at the moment, so it's equal to the players that you have, that means that as the player base is growing, the initial items that you issued, they will then you know, go up in value as the player base mm -hmm. is growing. Of course. So that means that you as a developer could potentially have sold more initially, so you could have increased your revenue then. But 
since the players are then getting that value increase, they are also incentivized to spend more money inside your game. And then eventually, you know, they, they, they can even exit if they want to. But every time they do these transactions, you as a game developer, you make money there. Got it. That's super clear. So I think I think and, and, maybe, and, and maybe still uh, it's 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 kind of not not only I, I think it's 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 the low hanging fruit here to talk about these skin economies where mm -hmm. uh, where you only focus on kind of individual items and, and and seeing how they are being traded amongst players. But um, and this is where I think that that these play to earn or or play and earn games uh, have a lot of ties to to what we're seeing in in, in some of the free to play games as well. Where where you have a player that's grinding grinding the soft currency in a game, or or then or then you have gated the progression in a way that either you purchase more soft currency or then you keep grinding the game. So so if we take if you if we take uh, like the Clash Royale example here and how that would look like in this space, uh, in a sense that instead of you purchasing the gems directly from Supercell, uh, is that you would allow and you would allow the player base to basically farm. Uh, through continuous grinding of the core gameplay, they're able to farm the soft currency of that game. And in, after after the session, it's basically up to them to decide whether they're going to use that soft currency for upgrading their own cards or whether they're going to sell that soft currency to the players that maybe they are willing to spend, but they don't have the time to put into farming farming Clash Royale and selling those that soft currency over to them so that they can keep upgrading uh, upgrading their cards. Uh, and uh, and um, I think. I think I think that's also pretty close to what's what's happening in Axie at the moment, where you have a bunch of a big part of the player base farming the SLP. So in this case, you would see the soft currency of Clash Royale being an on-chain asset instead. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and 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 this is also basically the system for Axie as well, where you have a a, a, number, a bunch of the player base playing the they're they're playing the, they're playing and farming the core gameplay uh, for 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 this for this uh, soft currency in the game that they've been able to either use use for their own good. Or then, then sell to other players for, to to advance in the game and, and sort of progress their characters. So naturally, yeah. the first the first iterations and games we're seeing in this space, I think, are kind of very. They have they have some kind of an RPG system in place because of this, at least currently, this model fit, fits really well when it comes to really uh, progression progressionist games. Mm. Can we talk <laughs> a little bit about Axie Infinity? I actually have Anton. I have a question regarding that that came in after. Uh, from the from the deconstructor fund community so a lot of people just posted all kinds of questions they wanted to ask alexander but anyways let's jump into that later let's talk for a second about axie infinity um, alexander can you kind of just describe briefly like what is the game about for those who haven't played it and i'm sure there's plenty of those uh like what is the average session especially what are the typical player profiles uh we discussed how you make money but uh, but just kind of talking about what the game is how it has grown and what are the session like and you know what are the platforms that you exist on yeah well that's a that's a long answer <laughs> for that question i think i think i think i'll uh yeah start with a very high level so axie infinity is a digital pet you know universe or game it depends on how you want to define it where you have your you know main characters that are cute game characters like some pets similar to what you would have in Pokemon or, or similar uh, similar pet games. And then you can use those Axie characters across different type of games. So we have a battle game where you battle against other players or you battle in an adventure mode, and then you can harvest some, some resources in there or you know, do various quests. 
or even play in you know pvp ladder and, and ladder up there and then there is you know ranking rewards like you would find in, in similar games and then you can take those resources use them uh in another game uh, which is called the breeding game and then you can create or generate new you know axie characters like that so each player uh, needs at least three Axie game characters to play the battle game. Uh, and today uh, we have a little over 1.7 million daily active players in Axie Infinity. Um, and what's a little bit special here is that, you know, the game is not really, you know, you, you can't download the game on the iOS or the Apple Store or on the Google Play Store or anywhere else other than our own platform, which is on, Sky, on axieinfinity.com. So you need to download our own launcher or you can sideload the app on 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 Android, or you can download it on Test Drive. So the game is not officially released yet, and people still need they need their own wallets, they need to own their own Axie, they need to buy their own crypto. So there is this massive, massive, massive onboarding uh, to to get started, or you can potentially borrow Axies from from other players, which is now you know it's it's a, it's an entirely own business model to do that to to run these uh, scholarships as they're they're being called where a person who has many, many axes, they can borrow them out to other players so that they can play and the resources are being shared. So, so that's you know, where we're at at the very high level. And, and what we see in the future is Axie Infinity evolving into something much more uh, than just these games that we are making, but we also want to open it up for, for other players to, to potentially make their own games because each Axie game character is an NFT. So they're basically uh, the perfect vehicle uh, to, to, to be a platform or to, to be, this, uh, to be these uh, early inhabitants of a virtual world. And yeah, so our approach here is different than what you would find in, for example, Decentraland or Sandbox or some of these other games where they make the, you know, the, the virtual world first. We believe in making the content first so that we can get many, many players in. They play the game, they start transacting with the economy, and then eventually they want to make their own Axie Infinity related games. So that, I guess, is the very you know, short story of the long-term vision. And when we then look at you know, the average session mm -hmm. time, we need, uh, we need to go a little bit more granular because in Axie, you have different type of player archetypes, right? So you would have the grinder archetype who are only who's only like playing the game he's you know as anton mentioned he's like finding or or uh, harvesting the soft currency or the the, the smooth love potion as it's being <laughs> called now that person might spend you know four or five hours playing every day session length wow. between you know 10 minutes and, and an hour it depends a little bit because this is you know almost like their job and then on the other side you would have the person who is you know the marketplace trader like that's another person which is a little bit harder to track specifically because we we don't because that's done on the website and then you would also have you know the 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 social game where people are chatting on discord where you know they're creating their own workplaces so defining exactly what is the average session length is almost impossible because you would need to you know combine all of these things together which doesn't necessarily uh, make sense there right now. So, so was it a smash hit directly when it came out? And how did you get from from the point of like like this is is this your first game company or uh, or, or tech yeah, company? Yeah. So we yeah. So actually, so I worked in another game studio uh, for a couple of months before before I started mm -hmm. Axie. I was also doing some uh, some blockchain related. But my background is more as a competitive gamer. Mm -hmm. So I played you know competitive games for. I would say maybe 15 to, to 20 years, I guess. I'm, I'm 35 now, so the, or the, the, the first version of eSports Gamer before it was cool. <laughs> so I represented Norway in Warcraft, and, uh, Warcraft 3, and then and Dota, 
and I was a top 200 player in Dota 2. So no. that, I guess, is my gaming background. Yeah. Uh, but for Axie, we just kind of made the game that we wanted to make using blockchain assets. And it's, you know, it, it's been three and a half years, almost four now. Uh, and we shipped our first game, which was an idle battle game. And Axie it was not a success at all. Uh, initially, all the all the um, actions were on chain, so you needed to. When I was battling, I needed to send one transaction to the chain. <laughs> the opposing party did the same, and then you you know got this result, which was you know it was a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> so in the end, like we also learned a whole lot of uh, a lot of nice lessons um, over the past couple of years, and then we've taken a step back in terms of okay, what exactly does the players? What what exactly adds the most benefit for the players? And that might mean, you know, we need to do it uh, less decentralized, for example, because uh, there is this idea or there is this, uh, the way that the blockchain works right now is that if you want to have it super decentralized, you can't have speed. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's generally the, the, the way that it works. So you need to make some concessions on behalf of the players. So that's, you know, where we headed. And now the game is very much in a hybrid state where some actions are off chain. So like, for example, the game is made in Unity. Uh, players are battling against each other. And then if you want to turn your assets into blockchain assets, that's really when the when sort of the magic happens and, and you can blockchainify your items. Mm -hmm. And then you can interact with the with the, the entire blockchain ecosystem. So yeah, it's, it's just like we needed to make so much to get to this point that hopefully other future game developers won't have to because now we're getting there where, you know, there are Dapper Labs, there would be immutable, like Sky Mavis, we're also making tools for ourselves because we need to, but these tools can also potentially be used by other game developers in the future. And that's also why you get these massive valuations because the potential here is to create a new market. Like, I don't think we've seen anything like it since maybe the mobile industry. And, and at that point, you know, you could, you could argue that, yeah, that the apples of the world, they would capture the value or, or the Epic games. But now, I mean, these platforms that are being created, this, this takes a really uh, a high level of technological understanding to, to make some of this stuff. So how is, how's your company structured? Um, meaning what is, what does the development team look like? How have you, like the point when you started off the first playable Avaxi to this moment to kind of looking into the future, like what is the size of the company? Uh, where are you located? How do you like, is it a typical game development studio? Is there something different? Because a lot of the listeners, are working in game studios so they're very interested to hear about your organization yeah i see well i think we are very unique in that sense that that our team is more expertise our expertise is more within tech than games um and then we've gathered you know we, we've learned more from you know more from the traditional gaming space about how we should do things uh but that's not necessarily that 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 would be the best mm -hmm. way to do things now i think you need some level of technical expertise but i don't think anyone should have like a smart contract engineer, for example, in your in your game studio, that that shouldn't necessarily be 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 real. But in Axie or Sky Mavis, for example, I think we have four smart contract engineers, uh, and you know we have backends, and you know very very deep levels of infrastructure engineers, uh, even in the even in the founding team. Mm -hmm. So that's that I guess would be the 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 largest difference. So you know when you look at the numbers, uh, first of all, our company is based in, in Vietnam. Uh, that's you know where the headquarters are, and then we have. Uh, I think we have about 45 people there. And then we have uh, 16 people who, who are now uh, global. So mm -hmm. the total company is now 61. So we're growing uh, pretty fast. Um, the first couple of years, we had maybe nine and then 18. And then we, we went to, to 30 and now 61 uh, over the past, I would say, you know, 10 to 12 months. 
So things are going very fast, uh, and and we're we're aiming to to get to 120 uh, by 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 the next 18 months. So uh, we see our company are providing infrastructure for for other game developers too, uh, and 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 they and they don't really have to be large companies. Yeah. It's it's only about you know the 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 fact that they're that they understand how to design these economies in, in a way that that makes sense, and that they they have uh, they have a good tech stack enough so that they can integrate with, with our systems. Why v- which we will of course you know support Unreal and Unity and all that stuff. Why Vietnam? Uh, so when uh, when I met the other co-founders of Sky Mavis, we, we played CryptoKitties together, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it turned out that they were uh, like a lot of them were, were from Vietnam. So I just quit my job, traveled there, and uh, lived there for a couple of years to to make this company. Are you back in Norway now? Yes, now I am in in Oslo. So I've been here since COVID hit, and yeah. we're doing things remote. So I do mostly stuff on the business side, uh, and also in like janitorial services uh, in in the company. <laughs> I would say so. Pretty much everything uh, that needs to be done uh, to to push things forward. Oh, okay, awesome. And Anthem, let's mm-hmm. get let's get back to you. You had a question. Yeah, getting getting back to Axie, Axie, just for a second. So I think a particularly interesting. Uh, component of what you were just uh, explaining alex was was basically around around the onboarding uh, to x infinity and that there's still relatively many steps that are required by the users to start playing the game uh for example when compared to something in, in closer to more traditional free-to-play but i think obviously what makes it super interesting probably both from a developer but also from an investor standpoint is that even though the process is, is relatively difficult to start playing there, there's still massive growth uh, uh, I think then then then, you, then you, the question arises that what would this look like if you if you remove or if you do your best to remove that kind of friction that is there, um, and um, obviously I think uh, a big obviously a, a strong a strong component here is is kind of the uh, the economic part uh, also also of the game. I think a common criticism that I see from people in the traditional free to play space is that would this work without the economic component? Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe my my opinion there is that I don't I, I'm not sure if it's a valid question uh, because it is there and it is working. Uh, so, so I think I, that's, I, that's the most like the the best answer I can think of. So I think that's the same thing as asking, you know, what happens if you remove all the bells and whistles in a in a mobile game? Like, what happens if there isn't a battle pass? If there aren't any tournaments? Like, it's such an integral piece of the game that when people ask me that, okay, what happened if all axes were worthless? Well, I mean, the game design wouldn't be. What it is today, I think it's it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's a valid question at all, but that's the best answer at least. Uh, <laughs> and, but I'm sure that it's such a. And, and another common thing is, oh, but the game isn't fun. I mean, if the game wasn't fun, if people didn't love it, if people didn't play so many hours, like like the, the, it has to be fun. A big part of it is fun. Like, but what is fun? How do you deconstruct fun? So to say, like a big part of fun is, you know, playing the playing the marketplace, getting to know people, learning about new technology. Like, a game is more than just a game. At least in Axie's case, so I think that's the that's the answer to it. But you know, the the then you can say, oh, what happened if you ship this game in five years? I mean, it's it's so some of these questions are really weird to me. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I, I, I totally agree with those points. I was, I was kind of thinking, thinking out loud there. Now coming to my question was, was basically that, um, what do you think, or what are, your, or if you can share any plans on, do, you, do you think that there's something still uh, that you could apply from more traditional free to play in terms of the first time user experience? Could you, for example, see that 
that uh, players who might not want to commit up front to buy, buy the axes might be able to play with some some of the off-chain axes just to get get a sense of the gameplay. And then essentially what we would be looking at as the conversion event in traditional free-to-play would be in, in this scenario would be when they convert from having played these off-chain free axes to start playing uh, the axes that are, are actually on-chain and then they make kind of the financial investment into the game. Yeah, I think that's the that's exactly where we're headed. And that's always been the intention. <laughs> so what's interesting here is Axie Infinity blew up even before we had that piece figured out or had that piece ready. And for us, I think that's exactly what, 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 what you touched on as well. So why is this such a massive, like what is happening here when you see that people are willing to jump through all of these hoops even before we're finished, even before we've shipped the game? Because the game isn't, that's when I said, the game isn't really shipped yet. The game that people are playing was, was created 18 months ago. We almost did no upgrades to it because we felt like we could do better. The only thing we did was we reset the seasons. We added some more features here, like a bit lightweight features in, in terms of observing so that people could play uh, some esports, light esports. And people love that. But, you know, the, what, what will happen in the future? Well, we're releasing the Axie Origin game. And that's what Axie should have been maybe all along in terms of free to play, in terms of, Yes, you can actually try the game and, and you can see if you like the art, if you like the mechanics. And then maybe if you want to, you can take a, a take the next step, as you mentioned. Like you can you can dive into it. And that's really when the, the economy is, is unlocked. So uh, I wanted to kind of like zoom out a little bit and talk about this um, this heat that investors are having towards NFT pitches and and companies that, that do any kind of NFTs. Like Anton, can you explain like why, like why are we seeing such high valuations and and um, and yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, maybe coming back to my previous no. point again, um, sort of um, there wasn't really any any breakout in this space up 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 until this year. So uh, and and I, I obviously I can't speak for for all of the VCs out there, but 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 um, I think I think. We're also humans in many ways that we look at what other people do as well. And, and when when someone has maybe been early, early they're taking mm -hmm. a risk and then they see a big outcome out of that, then obviously the other ones also want a piece of the pie. Wait a minute. So, are, so you, are you saying it's, that... It's about, it's about the expectations. Yeah. Uh, obviously, when I speak about play ventures, we are we, we are conviction investors in, mm -hmm. in, in, in every sense. But, um, but um, uh, there is... Uh, Obviously, they, they, would, they would like to replicate and see companies replicate the success that some of the, the early big ones in the industry are, are currently doing. And I think that's plain and simple the explanation we're seeing here. Uh, obviously, you have a number of investors that I also think are, they understand uh, kind of the big picture. And uh, this, is, this is more about kind of redesigning games. And uh, this is, if, if we go on a more philosophical level here again, it's, it's about kind of uh, design... Uh, moving the financial infrastructure to become a fully online one uh in in, in the in the next couple of decades uh, and gaming is i think gaming is going to be a key part of that as well uh, and um, i think also one one very uh, compelling narrative that i that i've been seeing is that we maybe thought that the products on the decentralized finance side are going to be the ones that are actually going to be driving usage into this space but um if you think about all of those all of those services uh, that banks used to be providing, uh, that you mainly interacted through through your contact person at the bank, you never really touched those financial products yourself. So there's no maybe um, 
uh, inherent experience in people of dealing with, with complex financial instruments on, on a retail basis. So I think that's a reason why many of the decentralized finance products that came out on the Ethereum ecosystem last year didn't get the same kind of uh, uh, runaway user growth, similar to, similar to what some of the games we're seeing. Uh, and um, people have been playing games for a long time. Uh, it's easy to grasp. It's easy to understand what Axie is about. So it's, uh, I think games are a much more efficient way also of onboarding onboarding people into the crypto space. Uh, and uh, from there, I think people will discover all the other products also that are out there. But but I think this is also a major part of what's driving investment is that we, we're we seeing that this is prob this, this potentially a strong catalyst for for um, for increasing user adoption in the space. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, like, finance isn't really fun. Nobody, <laughs> I mean, normal, normal people don't really, really give you shit about finance, actually. Uh, but, you know, for game-related stuff, yeah, I think you, you caught it uh, perfectly there. Uh, we, we, we think it's, uh, we think the potential here is massive. Like, the people or the companies who get in early here uh, and, you know, manage to, to capture the attention of the users, they, they can potentially be there, there uh, uh, where, where, be a company where, <laughs> the, the players are saving a lot of uh, money, a lot of their money in these ecosystems. Um, and not only that, like to, to move away from the money perspective mm -hmm. for a second, a lot of what's cool here is that people are owning their, you know, their, their digital identity in a, in a new way, right? So when you look at, when I look back in time for me, I mean, I imagine, I, I wish that I had like a, a proof of some kind that I had actually done all the things that I said. Oh, so I did, did I actually play on the like Warcraft 3 team of Norway? Like maybe there is, I can Google my name and I can see some random Russian site, which mentions my nickname back in like the early 2000s. But you know, that's internet history. I mean, I would love to have that in my wallet, some kind of proof. And it wouldn't be so that I would necessarily sell it, but it's just a new way of thinking about identity that the people should own uh, who, who, who are you know, interacting with whatever kind of product that might be. So that might be games, that might be social networks. Uh, of course, we're talking about games here, but yeah, I think it's just a, such, a, such a natural uh, thing to add. Salutations, because I want to kind of go back to like, like we're seeing 7.6 million for Dapper Labs. We're seeing the almost 5 billion for Serare. Uh, I'm I'm even afraid to to ask what the valuation of of uh, <laughs> of, of Sky Mavis is at this point, but um, ah, but I won't. Yeah, yeah like, like, let's not even go there because, like, you know, you, you're actually the company that has been putting out some of the revenue numbers. Well, well, these have it, so I can only just imagine that it would be like a like fivefold of what these guys are, are seeing. So. I mean, so, I mean, there has to be growth potential yeah. in, in this, some of these valuations too. Like, imagine if, if, if like, for, for, for random words, like, for, for if, we, if we went to something, like, as you said, 10 billion, like, there is a lot of, you really need to justify that valuation in the, in the, in the long term. Uh, so I think a lot of people are, are still, you know, considering what happens when, uh, after the initial hype is, is there, right? So, I mean, for, for our sake, we are, you know, why would we necessarily need money? This would, would potentially be to, to, to connect ourselves with even more, you know, solid investors uh, and to find more partners. So, so that's, that, I guess, is, is our benefit. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think some of those valuations are pretty crazy when, when you look at you know, how, much, how much are these people actually, are these companies making? Mm -hmm. But then again, I can also see that, yeah, I mean, if you, if you consider that the new internet is being created, like some of these companies will be Nintendo. Some of these companies will be will be the the new larger companies of the world. Yeah, was, I definitely see that happening. And some of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I doubt it. Uh, I doubt it in the same way. But I mean, to to, to Tim Sweeney's points, that there are a lot of scams yeah. in the ecosystem for sure. 
for for sure. And I think that's a little bit sad too. But but what's going to happen? We've already been through a couple of bear markets, mm-hmm. and it's going to be really easy to see those who who only had like a profile picture projects, uh, and they didn't really have any sort of like idea of what would happen in in the future. And I think that the prime example for that is is loot. I'm not sure if the, the, that to me that's such an absurd uh, thing, but I know a lot of investors love it. Uh, so for I'm not sure. Have you heard about it? Uh, was that the uh, the tech space game? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you know for the for the sake of the listeners, I'll, I'll give a, a brief explanation, and we maybe can discuss loot afterwards. So, what happened is, you know, NFTs. There, there, there has been this idea that NFTs can be used across many different games in the future, and anyone can add value to these NFTs. And uh, if you can just have a canvas, then people can build over time. Uh, and, and that that's that's been pretty cool. The idea with with Kittyverse, the Crypto Kitties. Oh, people can build on top of Crypto Kitties if they want. The same thing we saw with Axie. Well, people can build, you know, Flappy Axie or, or any other games if they want to. Uh, so this is not this is not necessarily new. But but this year uh, a, a new project hit, which was called Loot, um, and it's basically a a, a file or a, a text. Uh, I guess it's a picture with text on it, mm-hmm. which says something like divine robes or, you know, typical uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, items yeah. that you would find inside a Dungeons and Dragons game. And then I think the idea there is that uh, they wanted other game designers or game developers to build on top of these assets so that they created more value for them. Uh, and the interesting thing here is that that really took off inside the crypto ecosystem where, you know, some of these assets were selling for, I think, you know, 20, 30, 40 Ether, which then in, in, in dollar terms is, you know, several hundred thousands of dollars. Uh, to me, as a game developer in the space, I think that's absolutely absurd <laughs> because you actually like, who are, for, for the first of all, where is the incentive for the game developer to actually build on top of these assets? Yeah, I think and that's the main cool. question for, for, for me for me as well when it comes to it. I, I think uh, that's probably the biggest yet question to be resolved uh, around Luit. Obviously, I think w- when it comes to the discussion of, of building on top of other assets and using other other projects, NFTs as your platform for, for, for what you're going to develop, I think that's been, a, that's been a narrative that's been spinned around in the space for a few years that you'll... Be, I think the most typical example would be that, hey, I have this sword in game one, I can bring it to game two. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, that, that sword in game one... Uh, all of the, the basically the, the the 3D model for that sort is on the game game developer servers. It, it it does not exist in the blockchain, uh, and then it's up up to the up to developer two to decide how that NFT is going to be uh, displayed in that game. Now, one one angle here that I believe could have some merit to it is something actually I think Alex you have brought up in some other podcasts as well, but mainly to be used as an attack vector for other developers. And it's more of a user acquisition strategy. So let's say that game number one, they have a slew of NFTs for their game. Uh, and I, as developer two, are coming with, with game two. So as a user acquisition tactic, I might uh, I might entice these players by saying that, hey, this NFT is usable in my game, but not all of them. But you're using some of them to entice new players coming into your ecosystem, and then you upsell basically your own assets uh, to, to, to that player. So I think that's a bit more plausible, uh, at least at least at this point, but obviously very keen to see how how yeah. the whole loot community I, I can see that I can see that adding value to 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 the to that project. But but other than that to me it's such a it's such a it's so interesting to see crypto people who haven't never made games before. <laughs> they love it because it's like wow this is an open canvas and it's the perfect, you know, that's what happened in DeFi too. They love the fact that 
anyone can build on top of it. It's like the decentralized ethos uh, of the blockchain. Uh, but, you know, you don't consider exactly how long it actually takes to make a solid product. Uh, and I think that's the, the the learning points that we have. But, I mean, I would love for it to succeed. It's just from, for me, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, that is the example of, of a product that, of a, of a project that, I, that I'm very, uh, I would be very surprised if, if, if it succeeded in, in the long term, because you need to, you need to hire builders. Like you need to, you, you need to get people, uh, on board with the, with the, with the, with the vision. So, yeah. How do you guys see like the future? So if, if Anton can kind of talk about the future for play to earn as in, in general, and if Alexander, you can talk a little bit about future for Axie Infinity. I mean, of course you've said like you're in a very early stage of you're almost like in beta and, and you're working to, to build the product and, and eventually ship it globally. But can you talk a little bit about play to earn games? Like are these going to replace free to play? Are they going to be another axis of games? Like we have the ship products, we have the free to play. Now we've got the play to earn. Uh, what's, you know, what is, what do you see the future for, for these type of games? So, so this ties also maybe up how we approach in, in investing into this space and, and just for context uh, that I didn't mention earlier, but, but we, we recently started in, investing from a dedicated fund of ours that focuses on, on, on opportunities in this intersection. We did already dip our toes in, uh, in, 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 a, in a company in 2019, but they are now looking to make a sort of bigger, bigger dent into what's happening. Um, when it comes to what's going to happen next. Uh, obviously, if you look at the market currently, you see, as Alex mentioned, you're seeing a lot of copycats trying to copy the model of Axie, um, mainly just kind of trying to refine and finding incremental innovation around, for, for example, the token design, but, but they, they aren't really focusing on, on the games themselves. I think we're increasingly also seeing teams that are coming from traditional free-to-play. Uh, obviously, they're seeing the potential. They want to dip, dip their toes in the space. But at least in the near to medium term, probably the strongest uh, or some of the stronger ones are the ones that have been in the space. And, and sometimes you see this re really rare breed of, of having experience from, from both of those, uh, both of those sides, from both from traditional free to play and, and then these kind of play to play to earn games. I think and hope uh, what, 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 what's going to happen next is that um, you will see uh, these more kind of traditional free-to-play spenders uh, to start moving over to these games as well. Obviously, when they start finding the games that they want to spend largely on, seeing more titles in the space generally, catering to different genres and categories, uh, and seeing the slow, it, it might be fast even, but, but at, at least this transition uh, of players moving, uh, moving into this space. I, I, I do believe that if, if, if you would bring, for example, a, a 4X game in the space, uh, where obviously those are known for very deep, very deep economies where players spend a lot of a lot of the money and effort. But if they would be able to, let's say at the point when they churn, if they would be able to at least get uh, get sort of at cost back what they have spent by by selling it to some other player, then I think I, I think I think that can have very interesting in, uh, impact on on conversion rates uh, for games when you're kind of removing that sense of maybe. Uh, spending money that you can get back. Uh, yeah, the sense of loss, right? That's it. Like that's the, and not only that, but, but the, the sense of doing something that's completely useless. Actually, this is something that, that we find a lot of our players actually like the fact that, you know, that the, their, 
their time spent in the game is producing some sort of tangible value because it's even easier to defend to your family <laughs> or to your friends that you're, you know, spending, you know, 15 hours a day playing a game or thinking about a game or, you know, hey, now I can maybe like it doesn't it's, it's not about, you know, actually getting 100% of your money's back, but at least you can get something. At least there is some sort of value that's that's being added rather rather than, you know, just a game studio uh, taking everything. Mm. But but def and definitely I don't I don't think anyone in this this call discounts uh, the importance of of these games having uh, having to be fun and, and and that's also the future for this space. The other titles we're going to see in, in this space are are equally fun or even more fun given the given the additional component. Uh, and um, no one no one knows what this space is going to look. I think no one knows what this space is going to mm -hmm. look like in five to ten years time. So so for us also the best way we can approach this space is just kind of finding the people who we know that they won't cave in the bear markets because there have been bear markets previously in, in, in the in the wider crypto space. There's likely going to be more also in the future. So there we need to be also aligned with the founders that they they really believe in the in the long-term vision of what's what's going to happen in this space to, to basically survive uh, survive those markets. Uh, and um maybe I think there's one bold prediction uh, that I would like to I would like to throw out there. Uh, and um so now we're basically still trying to figure out this play to earn and play and earn thing thing at scale and seeing more games coming into the market. But, and we're very, we're very focused on that question right now, but I think kind of the step function improvement from that at some point in the future will be how do game assets uh, interact with the rest uh, of the financial system that is being built on Ethereum and some of the other key, uh, key, uh, key blockchains. So I don't think it's, uh, so obviously now that your, if your game assets are on Ethereum, you could potentially use those in some of the finance products that are out there. So I don't think it's impossible that in five years' time, we would, for example, see uh, a player that has a substantial holding of very liquid axes in their wallet and that they're able to actually take out a mortgage against those axes. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's kind of the big interplay uh, with, with all the rest that's happening uh, in crypto is, is, is what is going to bring this kind of a step function improvement both to, to gaming but um but both in terms of value for for game assets as well Anton, one thing that i've been, i've heard from from investors kind of like off off the record say that at the moment a lot of the founders in the uh the blockchain realm are what i'm going to quote tier c founders so meaning that that like i know this is this is a uh, could be kind of like diminutive but what they mean by that is like uh, usually founders who don't have any kind of experience in in setting up game companies don't have the sort of a background not from a from a big studio not from a small studio almost like the first game studio that they're doing and this is this is their their first dab into it and they're finding tremendous amount of success uh whether that is good thing that they don't have that type of background uh, or or, or you know, what, what's your what's your take on it? Because this is something that I've heard. Is it is it positive that they don't have sort of a weight of how things are done previously, uh, or are you guys expecting to see more of of founders with with traditional you know game making background? Yeah. So uh, nuanced topic. Um, I think if we rewind a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, and seeing kind of the general state of the teams that were tackling uh, tackling this market. They weren't maybe your typical uh, experienced free-to-play team uh, that would go after after this opportunity. I think when you look at a spectrum of people being willing to take uh, market risk versus execution risk, is that 
if you're a very experienced mobile free-to-play developer, yeah. uh, and there's there's really no market risk in going into mobile free-to-play because it's a proven market, uh, it's still growing, and if you if you're a really strong team and you're you're confident in your ability to execute, you might as well go and and, and sort of build a company there. But then they might not be as comfortable taking market risk because maybe we're looking at a few years back, and and I mean still uh, looking at kind of what the what the market potential for these kinds of games are. So you saw you saw different kinds of teams yeah. kind of taking yeah. taking that market risk as well. But I mean there is a there is a proper risk and reward ratio here. So so the teams that did take that risk a few years ago, they're obviously now seeing uh, seeing a lot of success. Um, and um, well, therefore I, I'm not sure if if the real question is whether that's is it justified is, is it justified or not. Um, but um, I want to hear Alexander's point on that. Like this is like the off the cuff remark. Yeah, I mean it's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, I mean we we didn't have any experience or baggage, as I like yeah. to call it, <laughs> so, uh, mobile space. Uh, you can call that you know C or F level founder or whatever. But you know our founding team in, in there, we have people who are ex entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. just different skill sets, right? Rather than, you know, what you might expect in, in, uh, in, uh, from a gaming, you know, team. And for us, I would say that this actually, uh, you know, uh, was a positive thing because that, that also made us have that conviction that was required when things were really rough, when, you know, people didn't even care about whatever we were making because it was so tough because nobody, uh, because there wasn't any traction, the, uh, the the infrastructure piece wasn't really there at all. It was almost impossible to, to ship anything. And then suddenly DeFi hit, and then that stole all of the little traction that we had and all of the, like, the, nobody, no investor <laughs> wanted to even talk to us. So, I mean, maybe if we came from the traditional gaming space, we would be more prone to thinking that, hey, okay, this is just a failure. Uh, but in reality, we came into this uh, thinking that, well, this could probably change some things. This could be, you know, this could... Uh, this is probably going to change the way that games are being played. And, and that means that it's not going to be an easy, easy route. Uh, things are obviously different now. Like the, the model is more proven. Um, I've heard from several other investors that the level of, you know, experienced game developer that's coming into the space is much, much higher. And I also think, you know, Anton might have touched on it uh, earlier in this, in the podcast where he said that, you know, the finding the very rare breed where there is a level of game experience and also crypto experience is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very rare. And even I look at that because I do some angel investing here and there. Uh, but but what it turns out that well, I don't think you should need that level of experience down the line because you should be very easily be able to plug and play into some of these systems. Um, but at the same time, you also need a very clear understanding of the economic system that you're creating and the limitations on the technology for now, at least, so that you don't come in with, with very, I mean, you can have very, uh, an open, uh, open canvas to try to build, but there are still limitations here, uh, that, that the, the tech isn't really uh, ready to handle. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's an important point that, that we, there's on, on both sides, I think there's still a lot to learn and figure out, uh, kind of emphasize the point again, that, that we also have to, to be, or we want to be backing the ones where we feel that, uh, sort of these people would probably have the best chance to figure out how this is going to play out because. There's still so much that that is sort of unwritten about this, um, and I think equally the teams that come from more a traditional crypto native side, uh, and the ones that are come from from more traditional gaming will have a will have a will have a good shot at sort of figuring out how how, how this is going to play out. I think it's a matter of just being being ready to maybe relearn some of the stuff that you you previously thought uh, or you previously took for granted. Yeah, yeah, I I, yeah. I, I really like this topic actually with the uh, with 
uh, about the team and investment because in the end it's a pricing question like the you know the more experienced the team the more name they have the, the usually the higher the price tag is and and the less name they have the, the lower price there is for for an investment and that's how it grows but uh but i've as well seen ton of success coming in from sort of a inexperienced teams in in, in gaming so i wouldn't be so quick at dismissing you know a c class even and by the way when that was said c class it wasn't said in diminutive term it was just said like as a category like you know like a, a c class meaning that they don't have uh, uh the type of a pedigree that others would so it wasn't a dismissive like i know that it sounds like a dismissive term it was more like uh just given a rating <laughs> so, so it's like yeah yeah you know, i don't mind we've been underestimated um, like uh, our entire yeah, existence. Yeah, yeah. So I don't expect that to, to change. Even people today, they they say, "Oh, these guys just got lucky." Oh, uh, like uh, what is it? Oh, Sky Mavis or the Axie game isn't fun. Like it's gonna yeah. die. I don't know. I've lost track of how many people have said that the game is gonna die. Yeah. So I mean, whatever. That that's that's totally fine with me for those who want to say it. Um, and you know, I've also lost track of investors who sent me email emails about, "Oh, we made a mistake." So you know, the, 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 <laughs> those those two things go hand in hand. It's it's generally. Uh, when there, when it's hard to make an investment decision, mm -hmm. that is a lot of the time where a lot of the value lies, at least from my experience. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, of course you're going to fail frequently. So two things we've heard on this podcast, investors do make mistakes. And secondly, they do follow each other. So nobody really knew that that could ever happen with the, with the VCs, but apparently it does. Um, I want to close it down with a couple of questions that I had from the, from the community, actually three different questions. So first one, one of the biggest, uh, I'm just going to quote, one of the biggest problems I see in NFT-based games is the high barrier to entry to participate in the economy if you don't join early on. As in, to be able to access a limited or rare item will normally cost a lot of money. So how can this be solved in the future to make them broad, appealing and mass market where the promise of making money is easily attainable for anyone, no matter at which point in the product life cycle they join? Any of you want to tackle this question? I feel like maybe I touched on yeah. it a little bit earlier. And also Anton, he basically described the strategy that we're, we're doing. So, uh, the, the, so that's in terms of onboarding. I mean, it's going to happen. The, the real question or the hardest thing, the hardest thing to design is if you make a promise that you can make money easily, <laughs> like that is a really scary thing to promise. And I don't think we've ever promised that. Like mm -hmm. our players might spread that through word of mouth and say, hey, you can make money here. But, you know, we don't market our game like that. Uh, and I think that if you do, then the, the, the level of, you know, failure that you can have is, 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 is also... Uh, like significantly higher because people only come in for for that you know extrinsic level of motivation and then you really need to have a solid uh, community or some other way to like intrinsically motivate them so that they actually love the game um but but in the end it has to like value where is value created right i think what do we define as value so in axie right we we define we look at the game as a network type where whenever a new player comes into the game or to the network that actually adds value to to the network itself because more players you know they tell their friends there is more activity there is more content being created all of these things that 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 you know the network type of effects that you might have and then in return for them coming in we can also like give them a small point of value and that might be a token uh, then the question is like what happens if the game is free and you know it's very easy to attain then you might have 100,000 bots that are signing up 
and they want to extract that small level of value, which then again is a detriment to the entire network effect that you're trying to build. So that's why you probably need a little bit of a, of a buy-in uh, so that it's not too easy, uh, but you can still, and then you can try to see if you can design a system where you know the, the, this will work uh, for an extended period of time. But that is really hard too. Like it has to come from a place of fun. Like it has to come from people only enjoying their their stay in the game or the universe that you're trying to make. So if you're making a game, well, you know, people need to be able to, comfort to, to comfortably spend money without expecting any tangible level of monetary return. Uh, and that can only come from, you know, they might experience other things like uh, value is created every day in the world where people don't expect monetary returns. So I think we have to come to that place, uh, but that's also a little bit harder if you market your game as, hey, you can make money here super easily. So I wouldn't do that. Let's move on to question number two out of three. So again, about Axie. So can you talk about the ev evaluation process behind the decision on going for the scholarship program and not making a deeper economy? Maybe adding more, <coughs> excuse me, low tier assets to provide a cheaper introduction option for cheap players, <laughs> cheap players, <laughs> like NBA top shot assets, tiers, rare, common, unique, seasonal event, and so forth. In other words, what are the key differences between the free-to-play and play-to-earn business models when it comes to designing the game economy? Yeah, so uh, the the answer to that question is, is quite simple. You know, Axie Infinity in the current state is not a finished product. So the users are actually the ones who made the scholarship system themselves. So we had plans to make lending available so that people could use the amount of Axies that they had for other players. Uh, but in the end, the players did it before us because they could use our account systems because it's a little bit split up between the blockchain and the game side. So what that means is that if, if you own Axies, you can let other people log into the game and then they can actually uh, play without being able to sell or trade any assets. So there could only be a value accrual. Uh, so, so they made that. And at the time when they made it, uh, one Axie it didn't cost more than two to three dollars. So this is a community, like a, a player driven economy. So we function as, you know, the Federal Reserve or as a central bank where we are trailing the economy and making adjustments if we see that things don't make sense for our long-term vision. So I think, you know, you can fine-tune all of these things, uh, but, you know, if you try to say that there is always a level of you know, super cheap assets, like why are they cheap? Well, there has to be because it's like an unlimited edition of them or like how it, it's related to the value that, that's being brought uh, into the ecosystem once again. So... It, it, you have to reframe your mindset when you're thinking about uh, these things. Like if you have very cheap assets, so why would people buy them? Like that, that I think that is a be be better question. If you look at the NBA total mm -hmm. economy, well, can you resell some of those items to, to new players? Probably not. Even if you could buy them, like that, that again is related to the primary sale thing from developers. So in my opinion, NBA Top Shot, Crypto Dapper Labs, they are making huge mistakes in terms of uh, when they are uh, issuing too many items to their players uh, because they lose value over time. And then you also, uh, you know, you lose your, uh, you lose the, the, a big part of the player base's trust. So I'm much more fond of the players doing that themselves. Of course, you will have, you know, reflexive or you will have economies that go highly up and down. But over time, as the player base is expanding, hopefully, you know, those, you know, uh, they will even out in a, in a, in a kind of a, a long-term uh, uh, value creation process, so to say. Clear um, or kind of clear. Let's be honest. This is, this is, this is very new to me. <laughs> but I hope it's clear for, for, the, uh, for the person who asked this question. Or they can listen to that again. Yeah. And <laughs> Pause, rewind, go back and listen. So final yeah. one. This is, again, a very Axie specific. What is the future earning roadmap for players after trading super love potions 
Axis and recently introduced land buying feature? I mean, the future of Axis is turning it into many different games, like many different resources, harvesting wood, harvesting whatever else that might be. But like at a, at a, at a very, you know, more near term, it depends on, on like if we want to protect the value of axes, we can allow players to release them into the wild. So you like reduce the axes that are in supply and then again, reduce the ability to, to, to harvest smooth love potions. And then eventually uh, you can give them some other resources, which again is uh, determined on other features that you need to release inside the game. So I would just say, you know, they're, 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 I can't go too deeply into it, but you know, they're, they're, it's related to new features. Axie as, as a current state is, is not a finalized product. Got it. All right. So let's finalize this podcast. Um, I wanted to kind of find out like last words and probably last words for anybody who has listened to this point is like, for those who understand blockchain and games, they're like, okay, this was good. I got some more information. For those who did not get it before, uh, I think they got a little bit more information. But what would be the next place to kind of educate yourself and, and understand better about blockchain gaming, about NFT? Is it to play certain games or is it to read? Like, um, Anta, let's start with you. Like, where would you recommend the listener to go after this? Well, similarly, I, I would, I mean, to play the games, to get a sense of, of, of what the gameplay is about. Then at least then you'll know also if, if this is something for you or is, is, is it not? Obviously, there's a bunch of different games out there already that you can be testing. Um, I, I would also, I mean, if, if there are any kind of questions or doubts on, on why why there's so much traction around some of this stuff, I would also take a peek into into the into the Twitter, into the Discord channels, seeing how the community interacts with the, with, with the developers, uh, how the community interacts with each other, um, uh, and and, uh, and and basically get a sense get a sense through that because um, I think again, as as we're looking into mobile, mm -hmm. uh, some of the pressing questions that everyone is facing now is is, is with the IDFA and what user acquisition is going to look like in in, in the next coming years, increasing costs, difficulties in targeting. But this space uh, is much more of a bottoms-up movement also in terms of, of how you actually acquire the, the player bases and the users. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's something also that can be really refreshing for someone that is, is very used to performance marketing uh, and, and sort of buying and, and growing your user base through that and actually looking, to, looking at something that, that is really organic. Uh, yeah, the, you just guided everybody to a black hole called Twitter and Discord. So thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the truth is, like there, there, there are assets out there that, but the the space is shifting so fast that there isn't really any way you can get a clear overview unless you really want to learn it. Mm -hmm. It has to. You have to think about this like something where it's a blank canvas in a sense that you can rediscover. You 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 can explore you can seize a larger opportunity that you could ever imagine. And I think that's, you know, if you can, if you can grasp that rather than thinking that, hey, this is like something scary, this is a scam, then, then you can start to design things in a new way. So that just basically means that you need to, yeah, I think going to the Axie Twitter uh, and, and going through some of the stuff that we retweet and even mine, like at Psychout86, I'm not amazing at Twitter, but I'm getting better. <laughs> so I try to share things that are relevant to the industry. Um, so... I mean, the, the, that's probably the best way and then get, learn more about crypto and NFTs. And, and I think uh, A16Z, they have a lot of great stuff about crypto too. They even have like their own, uh, they're, they're really looking into the, into the blockchain gaming space. And I'm sure also Play Ventures, I guess, will, will, 
there are a lot of interesting things in terms of thought leadership that are coming out because people need to they need to learn. They, they, it's such a it's such an open space that that and I don't have time to, to, to write all of these articles and to and to teach people and to answer all the emails. Unfortunately, that I that I get. So so hopefully, like this podcast uh, can maybe be helpful to some. Um, and if your team is making something amazing on, on blockchain and want to you know get in touch with us, uh, you can try to tweet tweet at me at Psycho and I'll get in touch if if we if we see that it's, see that it works. But yeah, it, it's it's really quite hectic uh, at the moment. So I would just get in there and try to do something. Get your wallet, buy some crypto, try to interact with a few the side chains, and and you know don't get scared. Think about this money that you're putting in right now as lost. Like that's my best uh, advice. All right. And then of course DM Anton if you have something cool going on. Yes. In, in the crypto space. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll put in I'll put in link into the description. Well. Fellas, thank you so much for for educating me for an hour. I definitely learned some new things, but I can't say that I understand everything fully. So I need to <laughs> I need to go the A Z sixteen page. Apparently, that's a that's a good one. I'm, I'm looking for like like as you said, Alexander, like thought leadership. Like where can I read without getting lost in Twitter and Discord? And and uh, I've seen some of the tweets about Axie Infinity. I kind of checked it before. They people are just tweeting like this is life. If, you, if you're not with us, you're against us, that kind of stuff. I mean, well, <laughs> that's been the approach for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, if I have to spend five hours trying to convince some dude who's a skeptic. No, you don't have to. I mean, I would rather not of do that. Not. Like, you can come back later. Like, that's my, that's my general feeling there. Um, I'd love it if everyone believed in what we were doing. But, you know, that, that maybe, like. There will be a lot of skepticism. Yeah. I think that, that nobody likes change. Change is scary. Like that's, I, but you know, that, that's future. I, I think there are people who are skeptic, but I think there's mostly people who are like, I was, I would say agnostic, like, Hey, just, just point me toward uh, a material towards a, towards something where I can learn about this and then I'll become a believer and then I'll understand this better. But just people don't understand it. And through that, the skepticism, it's easier to just say, Oh, it's a scam or it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but after after kind of engaging with the material and understanding it better, then you can form a much more educated opinion. And not necessarily you become a believer on it, but at least you're educated with what's going on. And then you can form your opinion. So I think that's the most important part. And that's why I was kind of asking, like, where can people educate themselves in order to really form an opinion rather than just to dismiss something that they don't understand? Mm -hmm. And I think I think just maybe it's fun. I think a general curiosity kind of helps here as well. I, I think... Maybe in mobile, we also sometimes take for granted what 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 machines on, for example, did to push push some stuff for the IAP also in the app store that we actually had have those things in place also for every other mobile developer. So similarly, you see developers pushing stuff forward here in in this space as well, which we will likely take for granted also also in a few years' time. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, fellas, and and um, outsider. Best of luck. Uh, I'm I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the uh, for the next valuation to pop up because I think it's going to be really high because you guys are, are are the ones who are you know actually have a, a running product. So so I'm looking looking forward to to playing the full game. And I haven't played I haven't played the beta version. I'll be honest. I, I'm I'm as well as you very pressed on time and ma mainly you know playing mobile games because that's where my business is. But I do need to 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 give it a go and. 
I will lend you. I, I will lend you a few ones. You can you can be his <laughs> scholar now. Uh, yes. Anton is now your manager. Uh, he's, so he's already he's already that, he's already that. I don't want to be <laughs> in, like my manager in multiple different facets, like in physically, <laughs> yeah. virtually, in blockchain. So like, look, don't give him too much power. He's already he's already yeah. power drunk. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing here before we round it off, my my my. Uh, my brother, no, my my my, uh, my girlfriend's little brother, mm-hmm. he is an Axie manager. So he has got like a couple of employees in in the Philippines who he's changed the life of. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, he has calls with them, and they are, you know, he, it's crazy to see the impact it has in real life. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. We're making a change. All right. Yep. Thanks everybody for listening, and thank you very much, Alexander Anton, for for joining the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.